High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, geeks, punks, loners, and thugs. Oh, and an extra special shout-out to my friends in the auto shop today. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and today the Slumber Party continues at my house as we once again chat about the 1984 cult classic, Better Off Dead. But first, it's Friday, and school is still in session, So let's go over your homework assignments for last week. If you completed them, I promise to share with you a fun surprise. Let's just say a certain celebrity blocked me on Twitter this week, and I definitely want to talk about it. Um, I wouldn't say it was like an incident or like a really big deal. Well, it's a big deal to me because I like this guy, and it does pertain to this episode. So keep listening. But first, again, your assignments. So your first assignment was to remember the career of David Ogden Stiers, who plays the father in Better Off Dead. But he had an awesome career before this, and he passed away. So I wanted you guys to look back at some like memorable stuff that he's done, because this is, this is an awesome character actor. I watched a couple clips online, a couple Disney stuff. Ratcliffe from uh, Pocahontas, and he's in Toy Story, and, and then I saw a Lilo and Stitch clip. But I was just, by chance watching some episodes of Frasier on Netflix, which I do from time to time. And he had an awesome guest-starring role on Frasier, where he played Frasier and Niles' mom's, I guess, old lab assistant. And it was kind of assumed that he might actually be Frasier's dad, but it ended up not being the case. And I know you don't turn into this podcast for Frasier recaps, so I apologize. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Regardless, David Ogden Stiers, awesome actor, um... I'm sure you did your assignments, and you know that, so that's assignment one. And assignment two was, if you hadn't seen Better Off Dead, watch Better Off Dead. And I'm sure you watched it, and you enjoyed it. Or even if you didn't enjoy it, either way, we want to hear from you. Um, Drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I guess. I'm not so good at the Instagram for podcasts right now, but I promise to get better. Regardless, drop a social media line. I want to hear from you. What did you think of Better Off Dead? Our uh, godfather of the Cage Club podcast network, that's cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, where this show is found and and a lot of other great shows, Joey Lewandowski, he had not seen Better Off Dead. And while he said he didn't love the film, he said he, I believe his words were he appreciated it. I don't know what that means, but he said it was like a live-action cartoon, and I definitely have to agree with that. Savage Steve Holland, the director, as we talked about last week, big animation guy, and this is, that's pretty accurate, and I think we mentioned it too in the episode. It's kind of like a, almost like a live-action Simpsons thing, but it's it's hilarious and fun, and it's a cult classic, and can't wait to talk about it, and of course it stars John Cusack. Well, 
that's the person who actually blocked me on Twitter, John Cusack. And he actually blocked the High School Slumber Party Twitter page, which you can look up and, and find, and I post cool stuff on there. But so I don't know. I posted a kind of promo for this episode, actually. And John Cusack famously hates Better Off Dead. No one can figure out why, because he does an awesome job in it, and it's a really fun movie, and it seems like it would have been fun to work on. Well, apparently not, because I posted something along the lines of... Hey, John Cusack, why do you hate this film? Ha ha. Of course I was saying it tongue-in-cheek. I don't expect a big celebrity like John Cusack to read this stuff. Lo and behold, I guess he read it because High School Slumber Party is now blocked by John Cusack. Cusack, if you listen to this, I'm sorry. I apologize. I want to be back in your good graces. I love John Cusack. High Fidelity is one of my favorite films. I love this film. Say anything. We're going to be talking about Cusack a fair amount on this podcast, and I don't know, I'm kind of sad that he blocked us this early on. I do have faith in him. I think that he will return to the high school slumber party fold. So cross your fingers. If you guys want to shout him out and ask him to unblock me, that would be great. But if you don't want to get in trouble from Cusack, I totally understand. Well, that's the bell, and I probably can't keep you in your seats much longer, so let's get to the podcast. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, well, you're going to be pretty lost, so wherever you're listening to this, go and click on part one, because this is part two of our discussion of Better Off Dead with Michael Manzi, the other co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, and my former partner, Kyle Reinfried. So without further ado, pack your favorite jammies. Let your mother know you're sleeping over Brian's, because after the break, we're about to get our party on. So let's take it from where we left off last week, with E.G. Daly's theme to Better Off Dead, One Way Love. question I'm asking on this podcast is, do you think that the actors in this film look like believable high schoolers? Because if you, some films, you know, they look older, some films you're like, oh wow, these are high schoolers. What do you guys think? So, I think everyone but Monique does. She, to me, maybe it's okay because she's a foreign exchange student in the movie, but she seems like she's like in her 20s. Uh, Even the uh, boorish boyfriend who I can't remember but like you know the blonde jerk off who is the varsity (laughs) leader like even I buy him as a high school kid mainly because of like his attitude like he's so immature and he's such a dick but by the way that guy that guy would so be in the Cobra Kai yeah Yeah. oh well that was another running theme in the 80s where the evil 
high school kid had to be a blonde Aryan type guy, yeah. you know, and all that <laughs> thing going on there because fuck the Nazis and everything like that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so for me, it was just Monique where I was like, eh, she's the only one that doesn't exactly feel like she'd be an American high school girl. Cusack has a baby face, but besides that, I mean, maybe his girlfriend that breaks up with him, but I mean, Charles, Char- yes. I mean, Charles Lamar even has that great line of he's been going to high school for seven and a half years. Yes. Uh, he's, he's, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't care. He's no dummy. Lane, I've been going to this high school for seven and a half years. I'm no dummy. <laughs> but I also knew some kids that were like super mature physically in high school already. Like even at like 16 and 7, you know, I'm saying like soft, like junior and sophomore year, like where had like could grow a full beard or something. Yeah, like he that. just, but he yes, just looks he, older. He's clearly revealed to be 21. Yeah, <laughs> and drugs and his age didn't like, you know, doesn't make him look younger. <laughs> but uh, besides that, I mean, what, what other, I guess Ricky looks that age too, kind of a little older, maybe. I don't know. There's a, yeah, no, there's I a, think, I think it's a pretty it's, believable it's, yeah, high school. It's, it's not yeah. one of those ridiculous movies that. We don't spend a great deal of time in high school itself, I found, you know? Like, uh, we have that great math class. Formations, hereto made orientable in our diagram by connecting the various points H-I-G-K, P-E-G-Q, and L-M-N-O, creating our geometric configurations, which have no properties but with location. R equal to the described triangle CAB quintuplicated. Therefore, it is also the five triangles composing the aforementioned NIGH each R equal to the triangle CAB in this geometric concept. (laughs) Therefore, in a like manner, the geometric metaphors can derive a repeated vectoral sum. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Please, take them out. Oops. Sophia. Oh, oh, oh. And oh, please. Oh, Buster. And Mr. Meyer. Please join us at the blackboard and show us your solution to this paltry geometric dilemma. <laughs> Which just perfectly that teacher is illustrates awesome. all my anxieties that I had in math. Oh class. my god, yeah. Let's let's talk about that scene. It's just it's <laughs> so perfect to me. I love that actor. I love it. Yeah, yeah, he's got yeah. such a great... I've seen him in other things, too. He's also in Fast Time. He plays the science teacher. Oh, yeah. and he's a great teacher. He's in Ghost. He yells at Patrick Swayze to get off his train. Right, yeah. He had a little moment, I guess. Um, but that class, I love how everyone is so into the... Yeah, like, that's the best thing. Garbage he's saying, like... <laughs> well, I had that reoccurring nightmare, like, because mostly I was unprepared for lots of classes, but that, yeah, when everyone pulls out their filofax or their, you know, word processors, and he's got, like, a sheet of paper with gum stuck to it that says homework, question mark, <laughs> or, like, or just says, like, do homework, question mark, yeah. like, I am right there with him. Oh, me too. I used to never, like, I never would do my Come homework, and I would just, like, wing it. Come on, the scratching of the chalk and the hair up in the air, like everyone's like, reaction. 
And that scratching on the chalkboard is like super universal and you know, it's like such a cliche, but it it's like I don't know, I wasn't even expecting it for some re- weird reason and then when it happened it made me so happy. It made me so happy that he's able to integrate the oldest jokes in the world yeah. <laughs> into this movie, you know, and they feel newish or at least they feel like they they're working at least for me. Yeah, it's fun. That's why it's a movie. It's like again, it's not complicated, but it's it's detailed and it's yeah. it's just it's it's very fun. Um so, you know, like John Cusack's character, Lane. By the way, their names, like Lane and Badger, is the brother. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but again, when your mom is like that, I'm not surprised that she named her son Badger. Well, what was his last name again? Meyer. That's why. Yeah. Okay, that's why the Oscar sure. Meyer. The bully's like, Oscar Meyer, what are you, a wiener? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if Lane had to, was, there was some kind of dropped plot thread or more to illustrate his past as a racer or something. And so he was like fast lane, slow lane or something like that. Sometimes I think you think too into that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm expanding the universe myself. That's why you like novelizations. Like I could see, I could see you enjoying <laughs> Is the there novel- one of this? <laughs> I didn't check. That's not mine. That's okay. not my thing. That's on a third time's a charm. So I didn't want to steal that from you. Plus, no, all that, good. that's a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm knee deep in like three books right now for my next episode. It's so it's crazy. So there's two things I, I really want to talk about in terms of like Lane's character. One is really obvious, I guess, is just the whole like dark suicide thing about this. Like this is kind of like a dark film. Um, I was a little comforted knowing that, believe it or not, knowing that Savage, uh, what's Savage Steve? <laughs> Sorry, such a silly name. Uh, the director. Like, he based it on his own suicide attempts. So he wasn't just, like, mocking suicide. Like, this is... He said this is kind of like... This movie was like a diary for him. It helped him, like, work him through it. Um, But I think he tries to kill himself three or four times. He tries to jump off a bridge. He tries to, like, suffocate himself in the garage. He tries to hang himself. um, All because his girlfriend of six months broke up with him. Um, Do you think... Do you think it was a tad inappropriate the suicide in here, or do you think it was funny, or like how, how do you feel about I guess like the dark tones there? May may I say, Brian, because you you know that I love reading trivia for P.S. I love Hoffman. The one thing I wrote down or I found interesting was that people protested the film's original tagline: "Sometimes you're better off dead." So <laughs> so it was so it was changed. Wow, clever! It, first of it all, it was changed to relax. You're never better off dead <laughs> because people protest it. Um, I think it's, I mean, you know, like, I mean, every, I don't know, insecurity, high school, like it's at an all time high. And not that he's, not that his character's insecure per se. He's just really at that point, like depressed because of his girlfriend. But also like, he's a fucking, like, I mean, when the dad's like, he's obsessed with his girlfriend, every single shirt he has, has a hanger with her face on it. So, I mean, he's got his own like problems even before suicide, in my opinion, but, yeah, look, does does this film depict mental illness properly? Probably not. No, but so that's, that's since not it, they're going. No, for. exactly. And so since it doesn't, since they're not a film that's trying to, then I don't like I'm not bothered and it offers up for comical situations such as, you know, trying to hang himself in the mom and then deciding not to and the mom, you know, opening the garage door and making him like choke for a couple seconds and then him I, what what is that? So, so he's gonna drink that. What was he gonna do? But she he's gonna light himself on fire like a like a monk. okay. And then <laughs> he yeah. saw it in the newspaper. Yes, that's okay. Oh, that's, what, that's yeah, right. That's right. Here's the deal for me. I 
like suicide is not funny, but he's a teenager, and we all remember ourselves as teenagers how over dramatic we were about the stupidest, silliest things. Mm-hmm. And, like, that to me, it doesn't justify it, but it's, like, I, I can take the dark humor in this, in this silly world, especially. Also, because it's, it's also portrayed very, like, funny, and it's not, in the end, he doesn't kill himself, so he finds life worth living. So it's, it's, it's positive, you know? Yeah, for me, it's, like, because he finds that he's not better off dead, or that, like you said, like, he finds the meaning of you know, he finds something worth living for. That's the point of the film. So, like, it's, <clears throat> I think, like, you can't discredit the journey to get there, you know, if it takes a dark turn. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it, I don't think it's necessary, I don't want to say it's responsible or anything, but, like, you know, there's also, like, a the movie Heathers, which I know you're going to cover uh, eventually for this podcast. Like, that's what the movie is all, it's all about teen suicide. Like, it was an issue that needed to be addressed somehow at some point in the 80s. Like, it was happening, and people were not, they just were not talking about it. And I, But I also think even more so what it does in this film is it externalizes how you feel as a teenager internally. Like he, you know what I'm saying? Like he may, he doesn't even need to get up on that bridge. It could all just be in his head. We're just trying to, I feel like Savage is just trying to illustrate how we feel at times, just the helplessness and not that we want to go through with it, but that, you know, the idea does cross your mind from time to time or, you know, the pressures, uh, of performing and just, you know, all of that. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it in, in this movie. I feel like it's justified. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I honestly don't, I don't take any issue with it. It, it look also, this is another, the other thing I wanted to discuss is like how creepy he is about Beth, but, and some people might be like, Oh, that's like kind of, weird yeah we get that you know it's like he's obsessive and the movie doesn't depict being obsessive as as a positive thing there are plenty of films right. that do you know and and that's pretty bad but everyone around him is like dude like knock it off like you know you, you can't be so obsessed with this one girl i think we all know people like from high school or honestly even now who get too obsessed with like their partner and they don't even like start living their own life even with the car and the driver he doesn't work on that because he's so busy doing everything with beth yeah i think this movie paints in very broad strokes you know and it depicts him as obsessive right from the start. There's a shot, the opening shot of his room where it's just covered in her picture. It's like the opening of Back to the Future where it just like, you know, goes across Doc's lab with all the cuckoo clocks and stuff. Like this is just like going across his bedroom and it's got her picture everywhere. So like the number one film from 1985. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. But you understand, I feel like immediately, like, this kid has, you know, he, like you said, Brian, like, he's getting, he's overreacting, like, he's obsessive, like, um, I, the movie makes its points, you know, quickly like that, and I feel like he gets over her, you know, like, that's not that, like, he comes to accept that she's not gonna be back you know, relatively quickly, I feel like within a half hour, 45 minutes of the movie, right? Um, he's kind of like on and getting on with his life. So I, I would feel 
weird if he stuck in that mode the whole film you know what i'm saying and like if the whole thing was just different ways of him unsuccessfully killing himself then i feel like it would be in poor taste but the fact that he actually grows and changes and gets over beth and at the end has the chance to take her back and doesn't you know um makes it work and all the worthwhile yeah and it's not one of those films that's like the French girl like is like, oh, I'm gonna help you, and you can get her back, and that's his thing. But then all of a sudden he realizes at the end, no, I should be with French. It's just like, no. After E.G. Daly sings that beautiful song, he goes and he <laughs> and he finally starts talking to uh, Monique, and is like flirting with her, and they even they have that nice. Uh, you know, first date or whatever, and she, you know, she she repairs the car for him and stuff like that. That's a fun relationship, and yeah, yeah, it's great when she reveals how she speaks English when she's throwing the lemons at the sign. Yeah. So like, she speaks English. She loves the Dodgers. Dodgers, like, this stuff. It's like blowing his Dodger. mind. That's it's such, such a cute scene. I thought if Casanova and I and Zara had nothing to say to each other, he'd get bored. Go away. Instead, he uses it as a chance to put his testicles all over me. Uh, his what? Uh, how you say, uh, octopus, uh, testicles. <laughs> tentacles. N-T. Tentacles. Ah, uh, tentacles. There's a big difference. <laughs> I l- <laughs> Sorry, I was just, let's get into Monique. Um, like, this character for me, it's a little like, she's like stereotypical French, obviously, but... So just a little context, she's an exchange student, she moves in with, with their neighbors, uh, and Ricky. It seems like Ricky's mom, like, it's very clear that he, she, like, almost gets her, so her son could have some kind of sexual interaction. Yeah, you almost feel like she thought it would be a mail-order bride <laughs> instead of an exchange student. Yeah, and the, the thing that I like about this movie, though, is, like, again, yes, she's, like, stereotypically French, but they mock that. Like, even remember when they have them over for dinner, and the mother has, mm-hmm. like, French fries yeah. and French Yeah, dressing. it depicts the Americans as stupid, you I know? could have sworn she Which made French Which balances out toast. calling her a frog lady and stuff. Yeah. Right. Now, in honor of our special guest, I've created... Dinner, Mondu. First, we have French fries and French dressing and French bread and to drink, ta-da, Peru. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, what did you think of her character? I love when, like, so the reveal of uh, her speaking English, but then on the front yard, she totally calls out Lane. She's like, I see you, and you're always trying to kill yourself, but you don't follow through. Why is this? It's just like, wait, you've been you've, you've been seeing someone trying to kill themselves, but you're just like, oh, I wonder if he's going to, like, go through with it. Like, what? Yeah, you know, I never, I never like, thought of it that way. <laughs> It's so true. You you didn't stop him. Yeah, just like the insightful like friend, like just like ah, so many if you could like love the the what is it the world the language of the world? No, what is it? The international, international language. language of love. Yeah, that's what it is. Love, yes. So 
Well, maybe being from France, she's just used to seeing people off themselves yeah. every day because of love and stuff. <laughs> Clairement. I like her. She reminds me of like, uh, in, I mean, I'm just dropping more references, but in Some Kind of Wonderful, which is another movie I think you're going to be covering. Like there's sometimes in these high school movies, um, like, and in Teen Wolf too, this also happens. Like there's the um, kind of best girlfriend it's not like his girlfriend but it's like his best friend and then you know he's always trying to go for the hot oh hot well that's like yeah the, that's what i at was at the saying. end he winds up with his best friend yeah. kind of thing like i feel like it's a kind of a really clever twist on that in a way where like he doesn't have any friends and well he's got one friend basically but like the idea that um you have like the um you know, the she's all that kind of girl who, like, is unassumingly beautiful and then, like, is all of, like, the tomboy stuff that you, you know, is way more, like, she can do things with you, like, fix your car and stuff, and she's into baseball, and she likes your sax playing and everything. Like, she gets you, you know? Uh, I think it's cool to turn that into the exchange student. I'm not sure if that's what's going on here, but, like, I feel like she occupies oh, yeah, no. sort of that role in most films. She's that she's movies. that trope like the 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 girl you should be with is right under your nose. Yeah, she wears a lot uh, she yeah. wears a lot yeah, of hats. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> she literally wears a few yes. hats. Yes. In this movie too. <laughs> I thought you said that. Uh, so, you know, we're slumber partying it up right now. Oh, I love it. A game that I like to play on all the slumber parties I do. Seven Men's in Heaven. Spin the bottle. Well, I, I'm trying to think of ways that I could make that uh, audioly, but like not that one. It's would you rather, and we'll say would you rather date or go out with or something like that. Let's not make it too right. too vulgar. So, Kyle, ask you, and then Mike, you can answer. Simple: Beth or Monique. Oh, now again, the movie oh, skews to Monique. Oh, just Beth or Monique. We can't do because I got a top four. In in the what, in the world, in... what do you mean? No, in, in the movie, in this movie, no, in this just film. in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, I'll yeah. hear your top four. Okay, E.G. Daly, the cheerleader, Monique, Beth. <laughs> wow, so Beth is fourth. So you would rather? Okay, we'll play another game then with you, Kyle, and we'll do both. So, what is that one? Date, marry, fuck, marry, kill. But we're being PC. Make love, marry, kill. FML. FMK. 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 We'll say, we'll say kiss. That's what they said in Spider-Man: Homecoming. You're saying FMK. fucking is worse. Hulk, you're, Captain wait, you're, America. You're, you're, or you're saying fucking is worse than killing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fine, fair, fair. Ma- make love, marry, kill. Manslaughter. Uh, <laughs> anyone in this movie? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Of those four, of those four. Ah, well, um, so again, marry E.G. Daly, um, cheer, cheer, cheerleader for, you know, um, make love, and, uh... Wait, so cheerleader who's dating the basketball yeah. team? <laughs> She's, she know she can teach me things. Um, and, uh, and then, and then again, uh, um, kill Beth. Wow, so you really, you're really not a fan of Beth here. You like blonde. I know, so no, I trust thinking. me. But there's just like she in the fo- in the four of them. It's not like she's like way at the bottom, but just like in a. No, she's shallow though. Yeah. Like who wants to be with Beth? I think she's this shows go good character on the mailman. So, so that being said, Mike, I think you would pick Monique then over Beth. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, look, Beth is gorgeous, but 
like and she's and I love her character because by the end of the movie I hate her as a person. Like she's just a shallow, like <laughs> selfish, only wants to be with like whoever's older or has more money. Like, you know, you see her in the go on a date with the teacher for crying out loud <laughs> in this movie. Although the way she <laughs> like, although the way she and Lane meet is kinda like cute in a way. And like Well, I okay, so I was gonna say that I really like their meet cute. It's kind of like we're we're citing all these high school films today, but it's kind of like Greece, like before like before school, they meet up. But like is that really how they met, or I think it's all just how Lane oh, think... recalls it? Like his flashbacks are a little warped. I don't know, but I don't know. I thought that was like re- really, like really how they met. I mean, maybe not, but like I, I that was something that always stuck with me too. There's two things that really always stuck with me that I, we haven't mentioned yet. The whole like. Oh, like she's touching her nose and he's touching like under the lip. Yeah, the inner monologue stuff. Yeah. And the other one, the other thing, a moment in this film that I definitely copied and I didn't realize like in my just youth writing was the whole radio after he broke up with her. Oh, like every, it's so good. Every song that plays is a breakup song yeah. from like uh, Breaking Up is Hard oh, to Do, She's Gone, so, Hall Notes. So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, can I ask you guys one thing? Is it weird how like how big is this high school? Because it feels like like nobody knows one another. Like even him going out for the ski team, it's like the guys even like I know he's she's already interested in him and they're already like dating on the side, so he might be playing it dumb like the ski jerk. But the way everyone just talks to one another, and even him going up to her in the park, mm-hmm. it just seems. I don't know. Well, I was just gonna say I, I'm glad you bring that up, Kyle, because it is funny how we we wanna. Like in film, we want to like depict the high school thing, but that's something you can't depict because you inter- need to introduce a new character. So so often it's like a new kid or something, or they just or they just play it like the school's so big and like people just yeah. don't know each other or only vaguely know each other. Yeah, I mean that like obviously like the whole click thing. Like I mean, Breakfast Club does that perfectly. Like everyone kind of knows of one another, mm-hmm. but they just have zero reason to ever talk to one another. But just in this movie, the way like characters are introduced to one another, and even just like the way they're jabbing at like new things, it just seems it just seemed like a little. But I mean, that's just a real mm-hmm. that's a nitpick. But it does. You're right that it does play a part in like high school movies and stuff like that. So I didn't really pick up on that to be quite honest i felt like everyone knew who lane was and that the jocks were just doing it to be jerks like they knew who he was but they were acting like they didn't or, or otherwise everyone is just so self-centered when you're in high school that like you just don't notice people until like they're right in front of your face and you're introduced to them like god knows i passed people in the hallway i never knew their names and then like a hundred times and then we're at a party one day and like we you know properly introduce each other and then you know what i'm saying and then you know that person or something but i don't know i didn't really pick up on that so much i do get that though in other high school movies brian that is a clever sort of thing to do is just take it from the new kid and from his perspective <laughs> so you don't have to really deal the only the one movie that does it great is like 10 things i hate about you that really is able to sort of hop around um, oh yeah, I feel hierarchy. like the the '90s ones solve it a little better than the '80s ones, like or even like later, like like Mean Girls is a famous one that a lot of people love. That mm-hmm. uh, Lindsay Lohan's character is like a, a new girl in that, and like it doesn't seem to bother anyone. No, but this one, yeah, no, I agree with you, Mansi too. This one, it, it didn't hit me so hard. I think that uh, the ski jerk doesn't know him because a, I'm pretty sure he's an older kid. And Kyle, we went to high school together again. There were totally like 
like popular kids that didn't know some of our friends' names, unless you were in that town. No, yeah, not not names, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I didn't, it didn't matter enough that like I, it's not like I roamed out of my notes or whatever. But there was just a few. There was just a few moments where I'm just like, oh, it just like it just lent itself to almost feeling like Lane was like a new kid in a way. I don't know. Well, I think he's de- he's definitely an outcast now that he's not dating Beth. Like I don't even know like how he was able to date Beth. Well, in the first simple. Place. Like he doesn't. Hmm? Grease factor, like it's he was able to date Beth because she was the new girl, and they met. O- they go. met over the go. summer. That's right. I forgot. That's right. It's the, the, I forgot she said that. You're right. You're right. But uh, yeah, I never got the sense that Lane was quote unquote cool or anything. Like you get little hints of his past, like with the street racers who we got to get to eventually. We'll talk about those guys. Like he seems to have been a badass at some point. Like he has this air of like Logan to him in a sense where it's like <laughs> his best, his best days are behind him, you know, like the days of dating Beth or even before that. But now like he's really... He's really at like the bottom of his barrel, and he's he's got to you know claw his way back up, or just like build a new barrel or something. So, so the last thing I'll say about I guess Monique before we move on to some of these other highlights is, uh, she I I do like their arc. Um, I used to find it really weird that she was into baseball, which is a non-existent sport in France. But in my mind, oh. in my mind, I made like a, a backstory, like I guess on this last watch I did was that this is why she's in America. She loves the Dodgers. Maybe she picked up a magazine one day and and saw them. She even calls them the Brooklyn Dodgers at one point, um, even though they're clearly in Los Angeles at that point. And Hey, if you're the only girl in France who likes baseball, of course you're going to live with any family in California. So you could see, see that team, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even get the sense that exchange students had much of a choice of what family they were put with. <laughs> you were just you go where you're told. I guess. No, it's not. It's not like a freaking draft or something. Like, well, no, it's not like they're gonna put you any place like dangerous or anything. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, they find a nice family for you, and then you just show up and you get what you know. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, but they tell you like it's... where you're going theoretically, or like like what part of. Oh, the right, right. I'm yeah. sure she knew she was going to be like living in Los Angeles in like a well, nice house with a, like. A... But they're actually not in L.A. in this film, uh, or even they're. Okay, where are they supposed to be? It's because like once. they're in Northern it's... California. Okay, because some of it's the valley, some of it is clearly Los Angeles. It's shot like in they're... L.A. except for the ski scenes, okay. obviously, but it, okay. it's supposed to be Northern California. Just okay. Just go to San Francisco or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the end is that. Uh, well, one of the end scenes is just them in the Do- Dodger Stadium on the car, which is whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How do how do you pull that off? Yeah, I don't know how you pull well, that off, but it's a it's a silly movie anyway. So, well, it's great symbolism in it, and it wraps up like you know it was set up that she wanted to go there. Like that's. When it, that's one of the main things she said. She's like, I come because of the Dodgers. I want to go to Dodger Stadium one day. And so it's very fitting that like the last shot of the movie basically wraps everything up. Even more so when the when the paperboy comes for his money. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get on the paperboy next. I just want to touch. I just want to finish up with Ricky too. I it made me happy. Like okay, so Dan Schneider. We said this before. He does so good at that character that. I was feeling bad for him because I forgot that he ended up with somebody that like he didn't end up with Monique. Not that he deserved her, but he seemed like genuinely sad. And then he finds like this nerd girl 
that made she comes me happy. up to him. Yeah. Yeah, that made me happy. I mean, yeah, he, he's a he's a good actor. He really is. <laughs> he's, he's good at playing that role. But uh, okay. So let- well, no, I love the idea that like it's again, it's like he meets his like doppelganger, right? But it's a female, so it's like his match. They're a match made in heaven. Like Monique was never for him; it was never gonna work out. Like she even, you know, she's got dark hair like Lane, and like, you know, she's kind of cool. She's into cars. Like she's way more Lane's speed. No pun intended. Uh, he needs someone more like this girl that he meets, the ski bunny with the braces and the big glasses, just like him. <laughs> Which is funny. They're they- perfect for each other. Yeah, they. Play- Pulled a she's all that with that girl because I kind of I paused it and purely they just like she's you know I mean like an attra- oh they reversed it <laughs> she's an attractive younger lady that like they're just like all right you know here you go put on some glasses and braces or she probably had braces at the time <laughs> but but yeah yeah let, let's nerd her up um, yeah so okay let let's uh let's get into some of the other uh, fun little beats in this film let's talk about the paperboy uh, also a true story apparently. What that the paperboy just they wouldn't pay him the two dollars and they just kept hounding him and hounding him uh, for two dollars. That's what Savage Steve says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a well, great I, introduction, just as far as the dad having like kind yeah. of like you know not. I mean, you know, just a nightmare. I guess whatever you want to call it, but it's because he's reacting. He's just thinking of the sound of the bike coming down the road, and then a great introduction to seeing all the window panes in the garage broken. Yeah. Just a great struggle between like, like two side characters and then again i mean we see him throughout the film he plays a part in the ski race and then even in the final shot he's riding up to him he shows up a lot throughout like, oh throughout he yeah, just yeah, rings yeah the doorbell yeah johnny four weeks 20 papers that's two dollars plus tip oh, gee johnny i don't have a dime sorry didn't ask for a dime $2. Well, uh, it's funny. See, my mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work because... $2. Cash. See, the problem here is is that my little brother this morning got his arm caught in the microwave and and uh, my grandmother dropped acid and she freaked out and hijacked a school bus full of penguins. So it's kind of a family crisis. So come back later, Grace. Like, he chases down Lane a couple times. Like, what is that yeah, great nightmarish moment in, like, the foggy woods of all of the paper boys? Yeah. Two dollars. Two dollars. Two dollars. It's like a warriors. It's like a warriors gang of paper boys. But, oh, but it's yeah, that's great. Great, like the opening shot or that shot of the garage is just like that is such an amazing detail. Like you get the history instantly between the dad and the paper boy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> he reminds me of the paper boy from the actual arcade game paper, paper boy. Really, yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, like throwing papers through the windows and everything. Uh, but it's just so 
refreshing that even there's this much care taken to the B story, you know, like to the to these characters that in most movies don't have nearly as many scenes as this, but like we're going to give the freaking paper boy is going to be like the running gag threat throughout the entire film. Like that is just like, it's so bizarre. Like I just find it incredibly awesome, you know, and hilarious, like for that to be like a thread woven throughout this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. And honestly, it's one of the most, I've talked to some people about this film. It's one of the most memorable parts of the film. Um, Like just like $2. I always had two questions though. Ironically, my first question is, why is he bothering Lane so much? Does he really think <laughs> Lane pays the paper bill? Like, he's, like, stalking Lane. Like, just go after the father. I know he does originally, but, he, I, again, I know it's for the story, but calm down. The second, <laughs> the second thing is, when he first approaches, he has, like, a whole bill and tabulation about how much, uh, like, the family owes, and he gets the $2. But it's funny how, like, what, like, a couple months pass in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's still two dollars. Maybe Cash. they pay the rest of the paper, and he, they just still owe that two dollars. Or maybe he just stopped. He stopped delivering papers. I don't know. That could be it. I mean, I never had a paper route. My brother had one for a little while, but that never lasted. I don't. Think. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted. But yeah, I I was under the assumption that they weren't getting more papers. That they just owed him, and he was messing with them. And that he was just trying to get his two dollars, or maybe so he, he wasn't because the papers were like breaking the garage door, right? Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He just yeah. wasn't charging well, I, them. I mean, it's it's just you know I think we're thinking about it way too hard. <laughs> That's what we're. I mean, the memorable for, thing though. is like, th- here's what's amazing about it. It's just it's it's like repetition. You know what I'm saying? Like it gets stuck in your head. The fact that it's as simple as $2. Where's my $2? Where is my $2? Like, <laughs> even though by the end when they're going down the K-12 and he's like, $2. I, yeah, his, uh, his Charlie Brown scream off of the side of the cliff. <laughs> like, that's why it's so memorable. Like, yeah. I, somewhere he was able to just find a catchphrase and, you know, inject it into this movie and it repeats over and over and it's and it never gets tired. You know, it's like the next thing that makes me like in that vein of like repeating that just and then just going over the cliff and saying something like O'Doyle rules and Billy Madison. Yes, like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. It's just in that no. wheelhouse, that awesome, like, reoccurring gag, which this movie, again, has, I mean, I know you want to get to it, Manzi, because you want to do an impression, but... Uh... No, I'm not That's not why. That's not why I want to get to it. it we're getting to it, trust yeah. me. I'm just I'm just properly, properly teasing that, because it is one properly of my favorite moments. Properly teasing. <laughs> but next, I actually... We are on the edge of our seats with anticipation. But but we're gonna hold that tease because the next one I want to get to is um, that the reoccurring like guy who owns like the pig burger place. Yeah, Porky's. <laughs> I know that's not this movie, but no, no, it's that pig burger place. It, he's kind of a weird character. He's like a southerner who own, owns the burger place. Well, I like how tight this film is in that he's the same guy that Lane gets into the car accidents with. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so like he's gotten into like two or three car accidents with this guy, and now this guy is his boss. <laughs> and does the guy recognize him though? Because he, he asks him, he's, he's like, much, "Oh, you're blah blah blah." I believe blah, he son. does. But, yeah, okay. because he's like, 
that's why he says it. So like he wouldn't have hired him if he I mean, he definitely recognized him and he's like, oh, okay. so you're like whatever Myers kid, yeah. You know? And like he hired him because it was a friend. Um, so that guy's like, <laughs> I don't know, he's super weird. But then Lane's uh, forced to work to repair the garage where he's forced to work at a pig burger and wear that silly hat. This is also based on a semi-true story of Savage Steve and his McDonald's teenage job. Oh, God, Savage, quit it. Have, have you guys ever worked in fast food? I have not. I've well, worked I, at a deli. That's the closest. To... Yeah, that is I've close. worked at a Bennigan's, but that wasn't fast. Did you guys have jobs in high school? Mowing Mo- lawns in the deli. Ha- I worked at a bagel store f- bagel store, a bagel sh- deli bagel <laughs> shop for like a couple months. <laughs> I didn't. Really, Kyle? Were you working at the deli in high school? Yeah, first my first job ever was mowing lawns, and then the next after that, like uh, like a legit job was going summer going into junior year. So you know, yeah, started the deli. So you both worked in food service. Did did you ever make a claymation fantasies? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can tell you in a really weird way. There, there, uh, like just having like I, I totally. I think anyone like creative, and we're all creative people, and we're into film, so we're just always thinking of situations. But anyway, there was a there was a, uh, a God, what, like a butcher a butcher shop next door, and they would always like you know hire like a high school kid as well, and so I just always imagined like if we if they like made me and the kid fight gl- like gladiator style like what weapon what 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 weapon would i make from like the knives and like the stuff at the deli which it was a broom handle with a knife taped to it and a and a, a giant like soup jar lit as my shield to answer if you asked yeah so i did daydream at work yeah my food never came to life but i listened to this van halen song a lot before everybody wants some and now it's a great movie yeah that is a really great movie that's a lot of college though unfortunately college film yeah but i mean once once he sees the poster i was like oh yeah Yeah. i remember what happens now (laughs) i forgot it was that song i'm like oh yeah like it is that song like you know i remembered it was a van halen-esque but i didn't remember it was specifically van halen everybody wants some everybody wants some I'll show you what everybody wants. that is cartoons came to life but i had forgotten about the claymation stuff so that yeah so it's cartoons and claymation in this film so uh 
did, did you actually so you actually like this little claymation? Yeah, it's fun. Yo, I I loved it. Like when I was a little kid, I loved like the California raisins. <laughs> I loved Gumby. Like I was into claymation. I loved stop motion animation. You know, King Kong and all that kind of stuff. Like I was really digging it. Anytime, like that's the thing. Like this movie just is able to you know break from reality so smoothly so like anytime it diverts like this i'm loving it and especially as a little kid where i'm not really picking up on all of the like not so subtle you know high school humor uh it helps when i'm just in like a dumb kid in like grade school and i see like a dancing hamburger i'm fucking loving it. yeah every, i mean every, every everyone's played with their food you know whether you're a little kid or whatever like so it's just it's awesome it's awesome make believe he plays you know he does a total frankenstein bit which he's awesome as a mad scientist uh, oh, I can't so. believe he's not like in favor of this movie because he's so good in it. It's so, so weird. Good. It's so weird how he hates this film, or at least again at the time hated this film and hasn't really talked about it since. But like how differently he's acting than he, it, how differently he's acting as Lane as than he does the rest of the movie during that Frankenstein sequence. You know, like he's he's alive with life and he's just like, oh, like it's so great. See, how... th- that's the scene I was watching though, and I was like. Yeah, maybe he wasn't so happy doing this. Like, I, really? I, Fuck him I think... for that reason, then. I'm well, sorry. How, <laughs> how old is John Cusack in 1984, <laughs> 1985 when making this that he's just like, ugh. Not to, keep, not to keep bringing up my mother, but my mother is not a John Cusack fan because she's like, he's so miserable. You can just tell. You can just, like... Really? I don't pick up on... It's weird. That, no, I, the, I, people I have actually said that, that about him. I mean, look, I mean, like, there was a lot of long-standing like sold people. Yeah. Well, there was this long-standing rumor, quote unquote, about him from Con Air, where Danny Trejo was asked, like, "Who's the toughest? Like, who wouldn't you want to fight?" Like, this cast has like all the tough guys at the time. You know, Nick Cage and Ving Rhames and Malkovich. He's like, "Who's the craziest guy on set?" And Trejo's like, "Oh, without a question, John Cusack." Really? And everyone's like, "What? What?" But then I asked Marco Kiris, Cage's stand-in, who was on that set, who actually also stood in for John Cusack in that movie. I was like, what's up with John Cusack? He's like the greatest guy in the world. The nicest, most personable guy you could ever imagine. Like took the time to, to just talk with me and hang out and like, couldn't have been nicer. So I don't understand. Like, I don't, I never really see him not going for it. I mean, and he's in a lot of stuff that isn't great. Like, you know, identity and like I mentioned earlier, sell. But I always feel like he what was the, wants to was the, be there. What was the Poe one called? Just Poe, or what was it called? I didn't see that, but yeah, he did play Edgar Allan Poe a few years ago yeah. in, in a movie. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I I like John Cusack. I I don't know. I hope he's not like that. Me I hope too. I hope he's like a happy guy and like a really nice guy. I I, I, like I don't him too. know why he doesn't like this film. I think. I, I do, it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe in hindsight, he's like, oh, I was like a bratty kid. I just don't want to talk about it. But it, it's... I don't he's, he, I mean, I can understand if, like, some actors, like, they've done so much work and they're just not sure what they're known for most but by the general public, you know? So he could have just a completely different vision of his career in his mind than, than we do and <laughs> what he's best known for. And you know what I mean? Like, I can understand it being like, oh, this again? Like, I'm always asked about this movie. Like, what about this movie or that movie? Maybe. Or, or uh, <laughs> Money for Nothing. <laughs> so... I've, we've been teasing this. I know you want to talk about it. Let's get into it. The Aardvark Jacket Christmas. <laughs> now, everyone's going to be wearing one of these this year. 
What have you done? It's real aardvark fur. Really? Oh, well, honey, it's sure warm. Now for the best part, oh, mm. the hood. Everybody's going to be wearing one of these. Oh, isn't it fun? It's real. I mean, that's from. Fur. That's just like from uh, Christmas story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's great that the neighbor has one too. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. The shared humility without a word is just priceless between the, the two dads. <laughs> of course, of course. Again, I, I'm kidding. The, what we want to talk about right now is the racing brothers. I guess we'll call them. Truly a sight to behold. The man beat the once great champ. Now a study in mumpishness. No longer the victory-hungry stallion we've raced so many times before, but a pathetic, washed-up, aged ex-champion. All right, let's go! The, uh... The, the, I guess the whole drag racing and car element of this film. Yeah. Not as good as the Fast and Furious show on Cage Club, but we'll, we'll, discuss, <laughs> we'll discuss some street racing right now. I kind of know the answer to this question, but what do you guys uh, think of that whole angle of, of Lane at first racing in his like parents' station wagon and then later in like a cool car against these two uh, brothers, one who doesn't speak English and one who learned English from wild, Wide World of Sports with Howard Cosell? Oh, no, not now. <sighs> what do they want? They want to race. Lane Meyer, the kid from Greenback. See, here's a good example. Two brothers, one speaks no English, the other learned how to speak English from watching the wide world of sports. So you tell me which is better, speaking no English at all or speaking Howard Cosell. The chance is saying slim that this once great has the nerve. That does not to win that he once had. You must obey the proper speed limits. A car is not a toy. Where's that? These guys! That's the close race! Myers takes the lead! That's gonna go in Myers' place! You're exceeding the speed limit. Lane Myers, slow down! Like I don't know if this, this there's nothing politically correct about this perhaps oh, but, it. but it's one of the fucking best parts of this movie might be my favorite part of this movie just the idea that the just mostly it's the Howard Cosell impression I think is just that they pull up alongside him and they just go right into it again it's like the movie there's there's been like movies before this movie you know what I'm saying like this feels like a part three almost of 
better off dead where like you instantly get in this moment like all this history all of this world building uh and that they're gonna reoccur like several times and there's gonna be a whole arc between them and everything uh but i I just love how we get a lot about lane and his personality through the other characters in the film like these guys like how they refer to him as a once like great you know racer who is now like fallen from grace and all this <laughs> stuff like you know and they're, they're, they're really champion. well equ- yeah they're well equipped and he's putting on Down like on dishwashing locks. gloves and like yeah. welding goggles and and then he's putting on real street racing gloves like i don't i don't know where this comes from but um my one of my brothers growing up had a white camaro much like lane's black camaro and I'm sure he raced it with his high school friends too, like on the way to and from school as well. But it's just like it again, it's just one of those like Simpsons esque moments that is just irreverent and and strange and surreal, but again is just like feels like genuine and honest and so like I don't feel like they're making fun of anything here. I feel like it's all uh everyone's in on the joke. Yeah, I mean this definitely but like I can't think off the top. I, I I would be very safe in my heart to say that the Simpsons parried the parried this as well. Uh, like from this movie. The uh, what point point I'm trying to make is that from Better Off Dead, I think this is the most like the lar- the biggest thing that carried over into pop culture, and then two dollars cash. It's <laughs> like that. Like definitely. And then, well, and then making fun, I mean, making fun of the K-12, but ski movies and stuff like that were big in the 80s anyway. But I mean, so was, I mean, the racing, that just all came from, I mean, like even just, I mean, racing just as far as a teenager from Rebel Without a Cause. Like, I oh, mean, yeah, you know, from American Graffiti. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every, it's, ge- it's every, every generation had like the car thing and this is just taking it to like, again, it's just like a satire of it all. And then what better than to like have this, announcer during it instead of like an internal monologue they're like oh let's no let's make it this funny thing with like this you know (laughs) asian film which again i mean that's just i mean a a story beat like i mean this is such a shitty thing to reference it to but just like in like transformers it's just like oh where'd you (laughs) where'd you learn how to speak english oh the world wide web like you know just like there's always there's always that thing in the movie where like it's just like oh where'd you learn english from and it's yeah so this is just a fantastic I, yeah, way I, of I, using it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't the the joke isn't even like their ethnicity. The joke is just like the way you know, it could have been any culture, I feel and the, and the yellow and the yellow jackets. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that again, that's from the wide world of Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like I mean it's all no, it's about perfect, how yeah. foreigners um like you know, learn English. Like, you know, I hear all the times, like I've had friends, um, you know, a lot of Japanese friends in school who took ESL and stuff, but like learned a lot of English from music. Like, you know, that was a lot of, and television, like definitely watching American television and stuff. Um, and so like, <laughs> I get it. Like, you know, I, it's this whole sort of like, um, appropriating the culture to adapt and assimilate the best you can. And it's like these teenagers, gravitated towards uh, sports you know and like racing and one of them is the actual athlete and the other one is the commentator so it's just (laughs) 
it's great how they're like this team uh, who are going to like, you know, I just picture them going on together and one of them is going to make it to the majors and the other one is going to make it to like broadcast <laughs> and everything. So. Yeah, look, look, I, I'm not Asian American. I don't know if this is offensive, but it doesn't feel offensive to me. Like another teen film, 16 Candles, there's that Asian character, oh, right. Long is, Duck yeah. Dong, who's incredibly offensive, you know? It's on Clock Hole I watch now. But hilarious. <laughs> come on. Uh, I mean, come on. But how how great also. I mean, just but, but as far cringy. As, yeah, cringy, but funny. Uh, but did not need to be played that way to be funny, you know? No, and like, wouldn't be played and shouldn't be played that way now. But then you just have to, like, remember it's the 80s. Just, like, I mean, how awesome is it just, uh, like, the one black guy, the tree trimmer, just like, ain't that a shame? White people throwing out a perfectly good white boy. Like, it's just like, that's in the vein of space balls. You comb in the desert and the black guys have the Afro pick. We ain't found shit. Like, it's just... Yeah. That, I mean, that's a that's a good equating to, like, this does have a lot of, like, those Mel Brooks feels to yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's well. that's a good thing. Yeah. Which is yeah, some yeah, of my Mel favorite Brooks. kind of comedy, just that obscure... Yeah, I mean, even, even like, Monty Python-esque type stuff yeah. is happening here, too. I could definitely oh, see just the Savage little, yeah, just the little, up on that. Just a little jab. I love Life of Brian when Jesus is speaking and everyone in the back is like, speak up, can't hear you. Like, it's just... It's just the... <laughs> and that, my friends, is how we are known for the Earth to be banana-shaped. <laughs> So, I mean, like, look, this is this is something I'm going to talk about on this podcast. Most movies, I guess in general, but most high school movies tend to depict, not all, but um, this kind of middle-class white suburbia. It's mm-hmm. fair to say that this doesn't escape that aspect of it. Except for, like, Coach no. Carter. No, 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 of course, okay. there's plenty of films <laughs> I know, that don't. But this movie, yeah. But yeah. This movie, yeah. Are we yeah. going to list all the films that don't put Dangerous Minds? Yes. Does not take place in, you know. But this is one of, in that genre, like white, middle class, small town. Reagan film. era. <laughs> Reagan era, yeah. Well, I mean, I think even even going back to you know, high school movies of like the forties, fifties and sixties and stuff. Like, I think that's why, because just that's the only depictions of high school. Like they were segregated. And so most films I feel may have just been about the white high schools. And then you can, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it's, well, cause it's a, it's a white filmmaker making a movie about a white high school, especially in the, yeah. what you're saying, like in that, in that age when there wasn't as much diversity or even because it was government regulated. But right now this guy is clearly, I mean, it, seems from what Brian was saying I read a little about it too that it was a personal film so he's just I don't know giving yeah he's writing what he where he comes yeah, from sure. well, well that's that, what I was going to say like the, well. there the, this is yes this is like that white middle class stereotypical 80s film but it's not like, at least to me it's not offensive you know it's not uh there are so many films that we're going to cover that like have like really offensive tropes. Yeah, it doesn't call it out, you know. It's never doing that, or else it would have. I feel there would have been a long duck dong in this movie, right? That's <laughs> what I right. That's when the movie is like trying to call it out, like look, like you know, difference. But like here, <laughs> it's just a matter of fact. It's just you know everything is sort of taken for granted. Even the lunacy, like everyone just sort of accepts that the cheerleaders dating the entire basketball team you know what i'm saying like or that kids are dating students like everyone's sort of just like that's not what's important yeah yeah exactly um is there anything else you guys want to talk about with this film i I feel like we've talked about uh just about everything (sighs) just eg daily wherever you are please call me
<laughs> Easy. Um, <laughs> call me too. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'll fight you. I'll fight you. Um, I, I think we, we didn't talk enough about how Lane plays the saxophone. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe because he doesn't really play it a lot, but I just thought it was cool how, like, um, that's, like, a very 80s thing. Like, he whips out the sax, and he does, like, the whole sort of serenade with it. And uh, and it's even with him at the very, very end. He's holding the saxophone on the car when they're kissing at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, that was a weird thing because it was, like, Charles DeMar suggests it. But we don't see him, like, practicing it. <laughs> and I guess he, like, practiced it on the side, got good at it. Well, it's just, like, another thing that um, from his past, like, he dropped it when he started dating Beth. Yeah. So it's like all these things he was good at, he stopped doing when he dated Beth for whatever period of time that was. And during that time, like he didn't fix it. He bought a car and he didn't fix it. He stopped playing saxophone. Uh, and then when Beth dumped him, like now he's reacquiring like all these skills again, he's going like almost back to his former self. Yeah, no, um, that's a good way to put it, you know, like, like that, that's nice. Like Lane is actually a pretty fleshed out character, maybe because it's based on the writer director, but he's just taking it from his own life. I guess one thing I want to touch on before the end is once again, where we started at that K-12, man, I love this element of the K-12, the, the unconquerable thing. Whereas, whereas the, the two brothers, the racing brothers, I don't know if they have a name, they kind of form like story beats, like. Eventually, when he beats them, is like when he's ready to conquer his goal. When he's ready to, you know, just get over her officially. Like he loses to them at his worst. He gets in a car accident, and then he finally gets to that level. The K twelve is literally the mountain he has to overcome. I I, I think it's funny that what's it called? Uh, Monique is she's like awesome oh, at it. <laughs> yeah, she's like I'm gonna teach you how to ski. Nobody can do the K twelve, but she. From France, I guess she practices yeah, the fr- in the, fr- the, the French Alps, Alps or something. Yeah. yeah, she can do it and gets no credit for it. By the way, <laughs> yeah, no one sees her. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what's great. You it. know what's great though. Monique repeats exactly what Charles De- oh, Demar yeah, yeah. says. Will you, so, will you say it, Kyle? I, I mean, I, I can't say it verbatim. It's something about like just go straight down, and then if something gets in your way, move. I don't know. Yeah, like go, that. go really fast. Uh, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go really fast. <laughs> and if he's very he's your way. <laughs> turn. He's the original Charlie Day. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. <laughs> he does have a little like Charlie Day elements. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Um so he does our our boy Lane Meyer overcomes the K twelve on well, one ski. First he like they do they go and practice a few times. Like first he 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 like tumbles down the entire mountain and doesn't break like a single bone in his body, but then he goes to get his ski fixed and the guy behind the counters and like several casts and he's like, What happened to you? He's like, Ah, oh, I fell down the K twelve. <laughs> Broke every bone in my body. Um, uh, and then, yeah, and then there's like a really brief training montage. With Which Monique, is the 80s, like we so you need to have about. it. Yeah, and 80s then, like, at the montage end of the, you have to. Yeah, so, so great. And then at the very end, he like looks at his watch. He's like, oh man, now's the time <laughs> for the competition. I better get going. But my one ski is broken, so ski it with oh. one ski. But he has to escape the $2 guy for some reason. I love how he's more concerned about the paperboy than the K-12. You know, that he's like, I'll just go down the K-12 to get away from the paperboy. <laughs> so he skis the K-12, accomplishes his goal, 
With one ski. With one ski. Now, this to me was mind-blowing when I was a kid because there weren't really snowboards at the time, at least not at all in the way that it is now by any means, not even in the way they were in the 90s. Like, snowboarding was such a... You know, foreign concept in my mind that to see somebody on one ski was like just incredible. <laughs> really? At least, well, as a little kid, yeah. That's like so now, I think it's super impressive anyway. Oh, no, like, it is. You know, it, like... It's incredible, like strength for your legs and stuff. But like, yeah, the first time seeing this, like, I, I was like losing my mind. I guess it's like a body double, right? He's on I... one ski. <laughs> There's no way John Cusack. Did that? He did. He did do it. He did his own stunts, and he hates this film. Yeah. Well, I think he did some of his stunts. There's definitely him like sliding down the mountain at one point in the movie. Yeah, maybe the, without the penguin slide stuff. Something I'll have to check out. Well, I like how the uh, the brothers show up with the uh, with the mega- megaphone and like a camera, and they're <laughs> like unbelievable, like the underdog. <laughs> Who would have thought? Lane comes back from the dead. To be okay, twelve, and then he's like, uh, "Do you have anything to say?" And he's like, "Yeah, language lessons, right?" Is that what he says? <laughs> he's like, "Language lessons." <laughs> yeah, wow, <laughs> it's so it's so great. It's funny that like he's bothered by their learning English, but he's totally okay with his French girl who didn't know english until like later <laughs> but i think that's like let's be honest that's like a guy hormone factor thing like yeah, oh pretty fixed, girl f- okay yeah exactly she fixed his car and she makes out with him <laughs> well there's a whole language sub theme going on in this entire movie and like communication breakdowns and yeah you know, e- even between the dad express yourself yeah, even between the yeah. dad and him he has like the 70s lingo and he's trying to like relate to him it's like i know your kids are or his brother who doesn't utter a single yeah. word in the entire yeah, movie that's a good badger point. never talks he doesn't talk a single time <laughs> yeah okay so that's one weird aspect of the ending like you said he built he actually builds a rocket ship and it's out of household appliances. Yeah, and it seems yeah. to go to the moon. I don't, did you guys watch it to the end credits? Like after the credits? No. So this wait, well, oh yeah, yeah. It's doesn't it say uh, you can go home now or something? Yeah, like the movie's over. Yeah, the movie's Just over. Little... Go home now. It's like free Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Like really? he, wow. he doesn't actually say yeah. it. It just says it in the credits. No, it comes up as a title card. Yeah. Like something you might see in like the titles, or the credits of Airplane, the movie, you know, like <laughs> just a credit gag, you know, to have that in your credits was pretty rare back then. So uh, every week I'm rating the film on a different scale, a one to five scale today because I love it so much. And it's going to sound a little weird, but <laughs> from one to five, five being the best, how many K-12s do you rate this film? Kyle, you can go first. I mean, so a, so a K twelve is a good thing. So or yes, because it's okay. Because um, you conquer it. Because you conquer it. Um, I'm gonna give it a four and a half. Can we do four K twelves? Well, four a and K six. Yeah, four K twelves and a K six. Yeah. So okay, that'd that's be, that's, again. And by the way, we're rating it. That's a K, it's a it's a K fifty four. A K-54, whatever. <laughs> We're rating it against high school films, by the way. We're not rating this against, you know... I f- uh, yeah, I feel... I f- yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's not great films of all time. No, up, like, against, up against Citizen Kane, which Citizen Kane is like a K-24, you know? Kane, he never... <laughs> that guy, did he go to high school? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, Mike Manzi, how many K-12s do you give this film as a high school film? I'm I'm giving it four. I'm giving it four out of five. It's solid, but look, if we're going by high school films, we didn't really spend all that much time in high school. Oh. All right. Well, it's a it's about Lane. I mean, he, we we get the I get the anxieties and the and all that about about performing in high school through his character very well, but um, we do get uh, the ski like a sports team, a high school sports team. Like, there's a lot of good elements. I don't know. There's a high school dance. Feel... There's high school sports. You know. Yeah, uh, I just feel like for a true five-star high school film, maybe it's too too comedic. Like, I would like a little more balance of drama in it. I wanted to get a little more serious. It needs a, it needed like at least one scene where shit got real and you could tell. Um, so that's that's all. I mean, that's just one. You know, four is still great. Oh no, yeah, four, four out of five. Four is great. All I'm saying is it's it's just missing that one special moment extra that that puts it over the edge for me. It's it's just too much of one genre. It needed it needed to be a little a little less comedic the whole way through just to get that five stars. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna give it I'm not gonna give it the five, but I think I'm gonna go with you, Kyle, and, and give it a four a four point five. Four point five K twelves. Um because it, it's is it perfect? No. But god damn it, I enjoy watching this film every single time I do. Yeah, it's got it's got incredible rewatchability. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Well, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Um, or, or I should say, attending my slumber party. It was, <laughs> it was real. Is it time to go to bed? Yeah, it, it, just like I, I feel like we've been talking a while, but you know, when you're at a slumber party and and everyone's like us, like the lights are off, but you just keep talking with your friends. This is what today felt like. So I really thank you for that kind of. That kind of fun atmosphere. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much for inviting me. My, one of my oldest and dearest friends from high school. From high school. From high school. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of one of my newer, but you know, <laughs> we're getting to dearest. We're getting there. <laughs> friends from post college. And so. and you're welcome for creating that. Yeah, and Kyle <laughs> introduced us. So. <laughs> yes, you did. You did introduce us. So. Uh, Mike Manzi, if this is the first time people are hearing from you, um, what where can people find you or follow you? I obviously know. Uh, and what sh- right. what shows are you currently on? And uh, you know, t- tell people what? tell people what's up in the Manzi life. All right. Okay. So well. All right. So on. I have some shows that are sort of they're ongoing. So like I'm still doing Cage Club, Keanu Club. But uh, they haven't really released anything new at the moment. So as soon as they do, we will be covering those new movies. Right now, we're deep into Watch the Throne, the Charlize Theron podcast, where we go through all of her films in in order. So you, I think that would probably be the best place to catch me. Then um, Cinemakers, Steven Soderbergh has probably wrapped by now, but go check out those episodes. And then my own show... Third Time's a Charm, which Brian and Kyle are on episode three. Uh, that should be available now, so go check that out, and you can find all that at cageclub.me. And Kyle, of course, I mean, I promo it all the time, but I'll let you promo our show. Yes, well, uh, there's 
I am, along with Brian, a host of P.S. I Love Hoffman podcast. Uh, I know Brian and I are thinking up ideas for another podcast that we can co-host together. I've got, I've got some, you know, Brian's spread his wings and is uh, hosting his own lovely show that you're listening to. So I've got some ideas in the works. I just got to get uh, permission from the Godfather and the Consigliere. Maybe yeah. I'll <laughs> Let, let's say you have some ideas cooking, Kyle, don't you? Got uh, some ideas cooking. but some, Something's th- in the oven. We'll put it o- that way. Other than that, just find me on Instagram. I'm plenty of fish. Okay, Cupid, Tinder, Hinge. <laughs> So, Kyle, also, I just I just want to share on this show, what are your hashtags that people can, if they want to... Oh, <laughs> yes. I've got three major hashtags that I, I attach to most pictures that I post on Instagram. I'm a big in- Instagram user. Uh, and that is hashtag talk to me, babe. Uh, and the next is hashtag <laughs> hashtag uh, does she have a friend? And the last and newest one is ha- hashtag El Hamon. El Hamon, the ham, because that's... The ham. So your transformation from band guy to ham guy... It, it... I was always a ham, though. Like I said before, we were but I think playing now maybe... with like lightsaber duels and stuff like that. I don't know you if know. that's really a ham, but... Well, it's always... Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm a ham. I've always been a ham. I am a ham much more to the opposite sex. But, but Kyle, I feel like you came into your own maybe in college, not so much in high school. Well, I mean, high school, again, like, it was just, like, meet, like, a whole new group of friends, and then it was, like, okay, like, who is, like, you're still, I mean, everyone's still trying to figure themselves out. I mean, I was still, I don't know who I am right now. I got nothing figured out. But, but you peaked in high school then. Uh, no, I peaked at 23 years old when I worked <laughs> I'm kidding. on. <laughs> I am joking. This is, this is not the Kyle therapy hour. Though, again, like I said, I wish it was. I wish people would listen to that podcast, because I could do that podcast for three hours. Brian will <laughs> forever be my Dr. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> oh, well, it's too bad he's not. He could be my Dr. Katz, but not my <laughs> Anywho, thank you guys so much for, for coming to my slumber party, and I'll have both of you guys on, I don't know about together again, possibly, but definitely on different episodes. So, thanks so much. So I read something, and I really wish I mentioned it when the guys were on, but this movie actually was finished under budget and ahead of schedule. When do you see that in Hollywood? Way to go, Savage Steve Holland. You're an awesome director, and thank you for bringing Better Off Dead into the world. Oh, another thing. Like, the Boris Gijok, Beth's boyfriend, his name is Stalin. Roy Stalin. Of course he's the bad guy. Like, typical 80s blonde-haired, jock, bad guy. Oh, I love it. Well, you sure got my vote for cutest couple. Better shave her a little closer before you kiss her goodnight. So definitely a big thank you to Mike and Kyle. I know it's episode two, but they were part of my very first slumber party. And hopefully it's the first of many, so thank you. Thank you guys, and thank you guys for listening. Um, I had a blast, and I hope you guys did too. So we have two assignments for next week. Your first assignment is, well, watch our film for next week, 2001's Get Over It. It's kind of hard to understand, but once you get into it, the story is actually kind of good. This girl here, 
She's very rich and beautiful and has everything a girl could ask for. Oh. Cool clothes, nice complexion, and her pick up pretty much any guy she wants. Once, Berklander's life was a high school senior's dream. This would all be perfect if it weren't for... Jukata Dance. Ouch. So when a boy band wannabe steals his girlfriend... He calls himself Straker. He'll do anything. Midsummer Night's Dream? What, are you gonna try out for the show? To make life imitate art. Oh, hell don't break loose. And get his girl back. We sing first, and then we read later. Uh, <laughs> call Domino's. We'll be here a while. You remember Kirsten Dunst, Ben Foster, Cisco, Colin Hanks, and Martin Short. I remember what the wonderful Bobby De Niro once said to me. Well, not to me, but I read it in an article. Get over it. Thank you! Yes, you heard that correctly. Next week's film stars Cisco. Also, Kirsten Dunst, Ben Foster, one of my favorites, Martin Short, and Shane West doing a pretty interesting accent. Again, the films Get Over It from 2001, and my Slumber Party guest next week is my friend, and a voice you've heard on PSLF Hoffman plenty of times, Jenny O'Connell. So definitely have a listen wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, and don't forget to check out all the great content on cageclub.me, and at this show's Twitter, and our Facebook, and our Instagram pages. Once again, I'm not that good at the Insta, not as good as Kyle. For now... Uh, hashtag HS Slumber Party and I'll find you. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. Your second assignment. Try to get John Cusack to unblock me, please. Thanks in advance. Later, dudes. Take it away, fan hail. It's over. Go home. Go.